murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. On this True Law Stories, we are going to talk about clients that don't listen. We've got returning employment law attorney, Michael Elkins of MLE Law. Michael, say hi. How you doing? All right. And we've got, we're talking about his two rules of depositions and how they were disobeyed and led to eight hours of torturous depositions. Michael's few good men moments, including the case of the horrible racist emails case of the hidden book and how he uncovered false allegations or a false allegation in another case, all this untrue law stories. But don't forget, uh, this is brought to you by videocasestory.com. One of the best ways to grow your business is through your stories. Go to videocasestory.com, learn how we can help you collect, craft, and deliver those. All right, let's get started. So last time we talked about a Paralympian and also a boss going through someone's private emails and that was super interesting yeah. i've seen that show go watch it tell me about the okay. clients that don't listen because it seems pretty common in any service industry <laughs> yeah for the most part i'm pretty lucky i work with really great clients i tend to have a lot of institutional and repeat clients and 99.999 percent of the time it's not that they listen or don't listen, but it's very collaborative, right? So we work through problems together. We come up with solutions together and it's a very free-flowing, open dialogue and we reach a consensus and generally have a good plan for whatever it is that we're dealing with. But there are occasions where there's some absolutes, right? Where you need your clients to just follow what we're talking about. And that is really evident when your client has to be deposed especially if you're a defense lawyer like I am primarily. So you have a corporate representative or a president, CEO, or whoever it may be. And there's some kind of general rules that go with depositions that are, I know maybe not universally true, but they're pretty consistent across the board. And that's not the time for the client to deviate from the game plan. And the game plan usually is say as little as possible. This isn't the opportunity to tell your story there's like a whole slew of rules yeah. that go along with this, right? <laughs> and the way that I do things and the lawyers that I practice with, we prepare our clients extensively for depositions. I've taken depositions where I ask them aside, did you talk to your lawyer before this? Don't tell me what you said, but just, did you talk to him or her? Yes. How long did you talk to her? 20 minutes. Where? <laughs> oh, right outside the hallway before this. That doesn't happen with us. When my clients answer that question, they're saying, oh, we met for four or five hours, two hours, whatever it is. It's it's lengthy. And there's a reason for that. You want them ready. We don't want surprises. But you also want them to understand there's an art form to giving a deposition. I have a case where I represent a company and an individual who was, I represent the company and then the company's corporate representative was a young woman. And there's a lot of issues. We prepped for eight hours. It was extensive. And one of the rules I always tell my witnesses, don't get too cute. I guess it's two rules combined into one. Don't get too cute and don't fight with the lawyer because you can't win. The rules of the game are stacked against you. I use the analogy like talk radio. People call into talk radio to try to get one over on the host, but you can't because the host has the button 
to cut yeah. you off. So you can't win. You'll never get to make your point. And if you get close to making your point, they're going to hang with them. And a deposition is like that. The rules of the game are stacked such a way that you can't win if you're going to argue with the lawyer. And a lot of witnesses want to get like super cute about things that don't matter. They'll, they'll be like, can you tell me the meaning of the word the? I don't really understand your question. And you're just like, stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. So in this particular situation, there was a lot of animosity between the other lawyer and my client. So I said to the client, don't fight. Just answer the questions. Don't get cute. If you legitimately don't understand the meaning of a question, that's totally fair. Ask the lawyer politely to rephrase the question. I don't understand your question. Please rephrase it. If you really don't understand the meaning of something, ask the question. Ask them to adjust the meaning legitimately. <laughs> so we're about three minutes into this deposition. Maybe a, maybe actually a minute. And there was a whole question about my this person maybe having a relationship with someone. You can imagine how that goes in an employment discrimination case, right? And so the lawyer just asked this individual, were you ever in a relationship with so-and-so? And there's an answer to that's obvious, but my client looks, sits back and goes, I'm going to need you to give me the meaning of the word relationship. Oh. <laughs> and I looked and looked at my co-counsel who looked at me and I just did this. I was just like, oh boy, here we go. And for eight hours that day, that was, it was fighting. All the advice, none of it. Didn't listen to anything. For eight hours, spent the day fighting with the lawyer. It's just out the window. Everything we talked about, everything we talked about before out the window. And it all started with, can you give me the definition of the word? What do you mean by relationship? And it was, I understand that word could have multiple meanings, but in this particular situation, it was very obvious what the question was about. There really wasn't, it was a really a benign question, actually. Yeah. So sometimes clients don't want to follow your advice. Oh man, eight hours. And they're going to do what they want. Yeah, they're going to do what they want, when they want, how they want. <laughs> that was it's rare, but it happens, and you just sit there, and you're just like, oh, good Lord. Oh, Make it and stop. What, <laughs> and how did it affect the case? Maybe not much. Case is still going, believe it or not. This was several years ago. So oh, maybe geez. not much. He still might have turned out to be a, yeah, <laughs> might have turned out to be a no harm, no foul situation, but it was a sight to see that day. And you can't talk to your client about it when it's happening, like on a break, or you can't have those discussions. It is what it is. <laughs> oh. You're just like, somebody make it stop. Oh, we'll yeah, I can only we'll imagine you're sitting there like, oh, for eight hours, though. Eight, hour, eight hours is not unusual, but eight hours of the fighting back, it would have probably been three hours if the witness just answered the questions. But... Sometimes people want to take their own path and that happens. It's rare. Most of the time, like I said, 99.999% of the time, it all works out. But occasionally someone just decides they're going to chart their own course. Or, or your client goes on national TV and starts spouting off about his case. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that is a horse of a completely different color, but... I, and also that particular individual that you're referring to has been through 
I don't even know how many lawyers at this point and probably will continue to go through a bunch of lawyers because that's an uncontrollable client that quite frankly has a lot of problems. Yeah. So we won't get that's a whole nother podcast series and a whole nother that's a whole uh, yeah, there will be lawyer. I stay away from that only because unfortunately you can't I try to I keep all my commentary. I try to, and you follow my stuff. I try to keep it yeah, it's here. I don't really reveal my personal feelings on that stuff. It's I don't yeah. want to. And so you that is like legal gold, <laughs> platinum. But there's no way to comment on it without somebody taking that commentary and deciding that means you're on a particular side of the aisle. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I could say, look, this guy's an idiot for giving all these interviews. I'm not saying that, but if I did, then everyone would think that I'm anti that person. And so you can't, you got to stay away from it. But, yeah, no, you got to stay away from it. But, may, but maybe don't give those interviews anymore. Yeah, it, it can <laughs> always be worse, that. right? <laughs> like, yeah, I'll tell you, on the flip side, I've seen it happen reverse where the client blows up and it's not my client. I had a, a very bad race discrimination issue from many years ago. Very public, very public, involved law enforcement. And there was, was a whole host of issues. The case had gone on for two years. We, we were in an arbitration where the individual was trying to get their job back and through their union. That arbitration lasted five or six days over a period of months. So it was a lot, maybe 11 or 12 witnesses, thousands and thousands of documents, hours and hours of pornographic videos, just crazy stuff, crazy stuff in this case. But... There were some procedural problems. I was on the defense side, like trying to keep the guy from getting his job back. And his union was trying to get him his job back. And we had some, what I'd call procedural problems. And in those situations, this guy was like a 20-something year employee. It's hard to get those people fired. It just is. Despite all the bad facts, and there were terrible facts, it was a close call. I remember at the end of this saga, and it was a saga, I said to my client, or maybe I said to whoever it was that morning, if this guy gets on the, he was the last one to testify in these arbitrations, these labor arbitrations, the person who's trying to get their job back is always the last one to testify. I said, if he gets on that witness stand and he says, I'm sorry, I got caught up in things I shouldn't have gotten caught up in. I'm a better person now. I'll go to training. I know what I did was wrong. Please don't ruin a 20-something year career for these bad decisions, which do not reflect me. All he's got to do is say that. He's got a good chance of winning. He's got a really good chance of winning. And I think that's would have been the move. What I would have told him to do. That's what I expected him to do. So he does, the lawyer, his lawyer does his direct examination, which doesn't amount to much at all. And in this case, there were some really bad racist emails, bad N-word type of stuff, not type N-word stuff. Yeah. And I had blown those emails up on poster boards and displayed them in the room, big, huge poster boards, and they were sitting there. And my plan was to point the worst one out, which was horrific. I'm not going to get into what it was, but it was really bad. Just imagine the worst thing you could imagine find and multiply it by a million. It was horrible. 
And I point at it and I say, you would agree with me, that is a racist demon. And I fully expect this guy to say something like, I agree, I never should have sent that. You know, what I just said, right? It's gonna fall on the sword. And then where, what, where does that put me? It puts me in a tough spot because I'm going to try to beat this guy up, but he's, he's engendering sympathy. So he's going to force me to go down the road. You don't really mean it. You're not really sorry. This is really who you are. And I have to then do a lot of different things that maybe are problematic for me in this type of a situation. Because he's just trying to keep his job or get his job back. He even could, he was a kind of a high-ranking guy at this place. He even could have said, look, I'll accept the demotion. Just don't fire me. Or don't keep me fired. And I'm fully expecting that. Like I've prepared my entire cross-examination with the idea that he's going to do that. Now I'm ready to go if he doesn't, but I'm really like, there's no way this guy's going to fight this. Like you can't really, these emails were horrible. There's no getting around. He used the N-word. It's bad. Yeah. And so I say, you would agree with me. That's a racist email. And he looks at me and he goes, no. I was like, Scooby-Doo. I was like, oh, what? Did you just, and I'm like looking down, expecting him to be like, yeah, it was bad. He says, no. And I kind of look up, I go, I'm sorry. Did you just say no? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, no. And I'll tell you what the email was. It was name something common. The email was like a joke. Name something commonly found in cells. And then the person answers, I guess the N word isn't the answer. Oh my God. That's a bad, that's a bad email, right? It's a bad day. And so I look up and I'm like, did you just say no? He goes, no. He goes, do you want me to explain? I was like, yes, I do. And he says, that's just a joke. I said, that's a joke? So it's not racist? No, because it's a joke. That's not really me and my job. There's a difference between me individually and me at my job. And then that led a cascade of, so I was like midstream, I said, I just abandoned everything I had in my outline. I just pushed it to the side because sometimes in cross-examination, you just got to roll. And I decided that since he's going to say no to that one, he's going to say no to all the other ones. So I just walked him around the room, poster board to poster board. And every single one said the same thing. And I know his lawyer. I've known the guy for a long time. And the lawyer's got his head in his hand like this. He's doing this. He's just looking at me. He's looking at his client. And so for an hour and a half, I end up walking this guy through everything. We had pages of other emails. And he just kept doing that. And he even went down. The, there were like a bunch of homophobic emails, misogynistic emails. I even got him to say, I'm not prejudiced against anyone's sexual orientation. I said, this email seems to indicate that you view gay individuals in a very negative light. No, that's not true. I have a daughter who's gay. I said, did she see these emails? No. Do you think she'd be happy if she did? I don't think she would be. It was just bad. So that's an example on the flip. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And I talked to his lawyer. He lost the case. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, years later, bumped into his lawyer. and I said, that was a hell of a case we had his man. I told that guy, don't fight, lay down, own it. You have a shot to win. And guy couldn't do it. Guy just could not do it. Couldn't do it. It makes me always always think of a few good men with Jack Nicholson on there, right? (laughs) Yeah. Those moments are rare. 
they are very rare that they happen, but they do happen. I remember one, I was a young, I'll never forget this. I was a young baby lawyer, right? So this is 2003. I'd been a lawyer for five minutes. And somehow I got yanked into a family law case. I don't know how the heck I got yanked into it, but I did. And I was taking the deposition of, and there was like a big business dispute within the case. I guess the family and the husband, the wife, I forget what it involved, like restaurants of some sort. But now that I'm thinking back, there was like a book. There was this book. And we were fighting over like income in the business, right? Because the value of the business made a difference as to who would get what, all this other crap. And there was this book. I didn't even know this book existed, but I remember questioning the wife. And we were talking about clients or customers or something in revenue. And she goes, I keep track of everything in the book. In the book. And I was like, I paused. I thought, I was like, what's the book? What are you, and you could see everyone on the other side of the table. And she, she tries to back off of it. She, and now, again, this is 20 years ago, so I'm not giving the best rendition of this, but she tries to back off of it. I remember that. She's like, oh, no, it's just I keep track of things. I'm like, no, no, no. You said the book. I don't know what you mean by the book. What is the book? Do you have a book? And she couldn't get away from it. She's like, yes. I'm like, where's the book? I keep it at my house. I'm like, what's in the book? And it was like records of all these cash transactions that had gone through this business that added significant value. And at the, I remember at the end of the deposition, we, we spent hours on this book, which we didn't have a copy of. And the lawyer comes up to me, shakes my hand, goes, he goes, you got it. And he, we were wondering if you guys were going to figure out about the book. And there were issues about why they hadn't produced the book. But the point is, every once in a while, you have that moment, like the few good men moment. I've only had that happen that time, oh, one other time, I was representing a huge retailer in an employment discrimination case in 2000, 2009 or 10. Huge international, well, national retailer, maybe international. And they got sued by the EOC for national origin discrimination relating to like Asian Americans. And it was a whole issue about tailors. They had all these people that were tailors at these locations. And the idea was that they were treating one, not one group differently than a bunch of others. And so there was tons of witnesses. It was a huge piece of litigation. And every deposition, there'd be like 25 people in the room. So if you were taking the deposition, you were not only dealing with the witness, but dealing with six lawyers from the EOC, plus everybody observing, plus the 16 lawyers we had from a, at the time I was at, like you were on display, which is fine. Yeah. You're not, if you don't like that, you're in the wrong business from what I do. But I remember I'm taking one of these complainants' depositions, one of the people that the EEOC is representing. There was probably, I don't know, 12 or 13, maybe more, maybe less. But taking a deposition and I'm looking at the charge. Was it the charge? No, there was some other document I was looking at that they had written that were their allegations of what happened to them. It wasn't the charge because I read all the charges. There was some other document that we had gotten like the night before or two nights before. And I'm reading it and I'm like, God, I've read this before. I've like read this before. And I'm asking the individual about it. I think it was a woman. And then we take a break. And this was before we were all paperless. Like I, I still had paper at the time and I didn't have the ability to jump on a phone and get into my, there was no cloud. So it had to be like eight or nine. 
But I did have all the papers. We had boxes. And so I, we go on a lunch break and everyone's like, you're going to come to lunch. I'm like, no, I got to look for something. I start rubbishing through these boxes. I'm pulling papers out everywhere. They're like, do you need someone to help you? I'm like, I just need to find something. And sure enough, I pull out a statement. That was one of the 4,000 documents we had from another complainant who wasn't there that day and was from another store. There were multiple stores from another store, like in another city. And I put the two things side by side and damn it, if they were not word for word, the exact same thing, which felt like that was my moment. Obviously yeah. they had concocted these. It was bullshit. Cause even if you had the allegations that were similar with the same person, there's no way the statements would be word for word identical. So we get, everyone comes back in the room and I'm sitting there. I'm just like, here we go. And I ask about this. I'll forget it. I'm asking about the statement. I'm like, and you wrote this? Yes, I did. And this is unique to you. Yes. These allegations, they didn't happen this way to anybody else. No, you didn't talk to anyone else about this. No, you wrote this completely on your own. Yeah. You, I had to be careful because you don't want to tip them off and then pull the other one out. I, it was like, and the, you can feel the room and the witness had no explanation for why they were the same thing from another person. That was a long time ago. So I, if I go yeah. back, I'm sure the, but the point was we had matched them up. I don't know how it, that didn't happen earlier because it was like the way the documents were coming in, these statements didn't cross paths with the same people at the same time, other than I just knew I had seen this before. So that felt pretty crazy. Good. Yeah. All those documents. And you just happen to remember that one. I remember that I just like, I've seen this before and that's not my forte. There are a lot of lawyers, but that's really not my forte. I have to have it all there. And, so yeah, that was a and, that and was so like at, my few good men moment. At that point, what happens when you're? Oh yeah, we're cornered here. Do they just keep? Well, pushing? we were we were on the right side of that one. That was good for us. Yeah, yeah. They were cornered. They didn't act like they acted. Oh, who cares? That's how they played it off. But it was a problem, and the case settled eventually. And look, we had some. It wasn't like it was perfect on our side. It wasn't, but that was super helpful. Yeah. No. Super yeah. Helpful. Definitely catch them in a lie like that. Yeah. Yeah. Helps, helps crazy. get a deal done. Yeah. That's it was, crazy. It was, oh, man. That was a heck of a time. There's <laughs> always, there's always fun moments like that. Not always. There's, there's a few of those moments where you're like, this is like my few good men, Perry Mason moment. And those are probably that, those are probably those moments. Yeah. And I mean, you have crazy cases all the time just because it's the nature of employment law, isn't it? Yeah. Generally speaking. Yeah, they're always nuts. Some yeah. of them are more benign. Some of them can be benign, but they're always, there's always some salacious factor to them. And some of them are just bad. Some of them, you get the facts and you're like, this is terrible. What are we doing? We've got to resolve this. <laughs> there's that too. Oh. But yeah, they can be a little crazy for sure. That's crazy. So tell us a little, I mean, we've had you on before, but tell us a little bit more about your practice. You're really active on social media too. So you always put out some interesting yeah. stuff on social media. Tell us the best place to find you there. So now you can find me on TikTok, which is at Melkins One. Instagram, my main Instagram account is at Melkins One. And there's also a law firm account, which is at MLE underscore law, but Melkins One's the main account. Of course, LinkedIn, Michael Elkins and Facebook, Michael Elkins. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I practice labor and employment law and sports. So I've got a burgeoning sports law practice. Nice. (laughs) Or trying to build one. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll put a link to all of that in the show notes. Michael, thank you so much for, again for being on True Law Stories. This has been fantastic. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for taking Michael and I on your journey. Make sure to contact him if you have any of these crazy employment law or sports issues. It's been I Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocasestory.com to learn more.